We all want a happy life, and there are thousands of opinions about what will help get you there. So why does it seem like so few people are actually finding true happiness? This series explores why happiness is so elusive and how our relationship with God leads to the contentment that we all desire. Here's today's teaching. Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 30. Psalm 30, I invite you to turn in your Bibles or follow along on the screen. Psalm 30. At the top of this psalm, there's a title that goes like this, a psalm, a song for the dedication of the temple of David. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord. You, his faithful people, praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. This is God's word. Please be seated. Hey, good morning. Uh, Vanuatu is a small island in the South Pacific. And if you were born a boy in Vanuatu, in order to become a man, you must land dive, which is one of the reasons why you should be glad you were not born a boy in Vanuatu. Because land diving involves villages building a 100-foot-high wooden tower. And boys scale this tower, and they tie a vine to the top. A vine, not a bungee cord that's been tested by 3M or some federal agency that approved it. A a vine that they cut from a tree that you tie to their legs, and then you jump off the tower. Not over water or anything smart like that, but over bare earth. And if you survive the jump, you become a man. If you want to become a man in the Satyr Maui tribe in the Amazon, you have to stick your hand in a glove that is woven of bullet ants. Um, I don't know, and you have to hold it there for 10 minutes. I don't know if you know um, what bullet ants are, but their sting is rated among the most uh, painful known to man on a scale of 1 to 10. Their sting scores a 
oh my gosh, cut off my hand, make it stop. That's what it scores on a scale of one to 10. Elders of the tribe, they capture bullet ants with sticks, then they calm them with a sedative smoke, and they weave them in alive into some sort of glove with their stingers pointed inwards, and after the sedative wears off, the ants are kind of ticked to realize they've been woven into a glove, and so when a hand presents itself, they go at it. And to become men, boys must put their hand in the glove and hold it there voluntarily for 10 minutes and try to stay as quiet as possible. Now, you can watch a YouTube video of some uh, Australian dude who is full of machismo try to uh, attempt this ritual, and spoiler alert, uh, he ends up screaming like a nine-year-old at a front row of a Taylor Swift concert, and they have to load him onto a riverboat and take him to a hospital and pump him full of morphine because bullet ants being stung by one should not be on your bucket list. Now, why am I telling you this? Well, in primal cultures around the world, there are initiation uh, rituals into adulthood for both men and women. And you aren't considered an adult until you pass them. Now, most of them are bonkers. <laughs> like, I am very happy that my 16th birthday was, you know, totally free of bullet ants. But in the primal cultures of the world, they were on to something. They knew that there were some important messages that needed to be communicated to young men and women if they were going to transition into adulthood and succeed at work or marriage, at raising the next generation, at leading or protecting the community. There were deep lessons that you, you don't just learn through a lecture or through somebody telling you. You have to learn them the hard way, through experience. And so these cultures use some crazy symbolic rituals to try to communicate these truths. That as an adult, you'll have to do some things that feel like you're tying a vine to your ankle and throwing yourself into open air. As an adult, in order to serve this community, you you're going to have to endure things that feel like holding your hand in a glove full of angry bullet ants. And what these rituals have in common is they see suffering and discomfort as an essential ingredient to embrace and to endure if you're going to grow up and be an adult. Interestingly, the Bible says that God is in this kind of business. The business of growing people into spiritual adults through tests of their character. This is what the Apostle James wrote. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James says that your faith is going to be tested. Now, this word tested is the same word that was used to describe um, Jesus when he spent 40 days in the wilderness. Same word. The words from the book of Luke go like this. He, Jesus, 
was led by the Spirit into the world where he was, into the wilderness where he was, there's our word, tested or tempted. It's the same word. Now, what I want you to notice is that right after Jesus leaves his family, before he gives leadership to 12 men and, and who through them he will launch a movement that will ultimately change the world, before that, he was put through a difficult test. He was sent alone into the wilderness. No food, no friends, terrible cell reception. And for 40 days, are you awake? I thought that was funny. If I have to tell you it's funny, it's not funny, obviously. That's the first thing in comedy. If you've got to tell people that the joke was funny, you've got to work on your material. So I'll, I'll do better next time. But for 40 days, Jesus was tempted and tested to be proved fit for leadership. And if you read about Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, you'll find that it was not an enjoyable time for him. I mean, 40 days sleeping rough in the desert, nothing to eat, being tempted and tried by the devil is not fun. Those 40 days were hard. Elsewhere in the Bible, that that experience is described like this. Listen. Son, though he, Jesus, was, he learned. Yes, he learned. He was taught obedience from what he suffered through difficult experiences. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Jesus was put through an initiation of sorts, a painful and difficult trial in the wilderness, which taught him important truths which he needed to learn in order to succeed as a man, as a leader, and as our Messiah. And who ultimately put him through that test. I mean, I know that Satan went at him, but who was the one who was behind the scenes shaping these experiences in order to perfect Jesus? It was God. Remember, it said Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Our Savior was tested and tried by God in order to mature him into the man he needed to be to be able to give himself away and to save the world. Now, if we circle back to James and what James says about testing, he isn't talking about Jesus. He's talking about you. He says that your faith will be tested. Same word. So in the same way, you will be tested. And what will that be like? What what does it look like? What does it feel like? Well, James says it will feel like, quote, troubles of any kind. In other words, not great. Another translation says trials of many kinds. So it won't feel easy. It won't feel comfortable. It won't feel fun. It won't feel like a spa day with Corey. Or a dude's golf retreat. It won't feel like ladies' Sunday tea. It won't feel like any of that. It'll feel like more like Jesus' experience in the wilderness. And so in each of our faith journeys, we will be tested 
and tried, which will bring discomfort. And James says this won't just happen once. We're going to have trials of many kinds. And they can happen at any time. They can come at us from any direction. There will be lots of them. And we are to take each of these trials and tests, uh, trials and troubles as a test, a test of our faith. And who is ultimately behind these tests? The same person who put Jesus through his. God. Now, I find a weird comfort in this promise of purposeful discomfort in our lives. Because this means that the stuff you and I face, the the hard stuff, the painful stuff, the challenging stuff, is not meaningless or pointless suffering. No, the the biblical story says that life is brimming with meaning, especially the hard parts, especially those bits, especially the parts that we would fast forward or skip over if we could. Those parts are so important to your story because each carries the opportunity to teach you, to shape you, to, to mold you, to sharpen and refine you into spiritual adulthood. In fact, the use of trials to to enrich and mature us is so essential to God's operating system in the world that another apostle feels a need to write about it. This one, Peter. Listen to what Peter says. He says, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. If I could summarize that big idea into one sentence, I'd say this. Life is God refining you. Refining the substance of your faith the same way that fire refines gold. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but to purify gold, you have to heat up a crucible to over 1,100 degrees Celsius. Then you throw all your old jewelry and the gold chains from your hip-hop days. I'm looking at you, Zach. I saw pictures your Mr. T starter kit, you take all that stuff and you, and you throw it in the crucible and you heat it up to over 1,100 degrees Celsius and it starts to melt in the intense heat. And then you pour that molten metal into an acid wash, which washes away the impurities and you get the remaining metal to around 90% purity. So you do it all over again. You heat it up, you melt it down, you dump it in the acid wash and you do it again. You heat it up, you melt it down, you dump it in the acid wash over and over again until you get to around 99.9% purity. And Peter says that God similarly is in the business of refining us, of preparing us, of purifying us through many tests and trials. And in the moment, these tests feel like life-melting heat. They feel like a bath in acid. They feel like suffering. 
but they have a purpose. Now, now let me just do a quick timeout because I think it's really important that we're careful here to acknowledge that this does not mean that every terrible or hard thing that has happened to you is God trying to turn up the heat or dunk you in acid. The biblical writers stop short of saying that. They say trials will come and God will use those to refine your faith. But they don't say that God made them all happen directly because they know, like we do, that life is mysterious. And even though God is ultimately in control of everything, he has given away some control to people so that you make choices and other people make choices that have very real consequences. And so it's difficult to precisely parse out the exact portions of responsibility in, in everything that happens. Sometimes it's clear, often it's not. But we do know that God never does anything sinful to anyone. There is no wickedness or malice and evil in him. And yet, in his compassion and in his power, God is able to bend even the worst evil done by humans into something good for us. And you hear stories of people testifying to this all the time. They'll say, oh man, what that person did to me was the worst. But somehow, this is the good that came out of that experience in my life. You see, God promises not to squander the hard, painful stuff that we experience or the stuff that others did to damage us or to wound us. Instead, he reappropriates them in his benevolence, and makes them do his good bidding in our lives. And so the point is, whether the trial is scripted by God or is authored by somebody else, he uses our trials and our pains, our sufferings, and our discomfort for our good. And so James says, for we know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That's his end goal in your life, to fully develop you, to make you complete for his purposes, to refine and mold you into a person like Jesus. And he will use storms and afflictions and heat and fire and acid, and bullet ants, and anything at his resource to make that happen. And this is why I think those primitive cultures were onto something. Because they teach their young that, that suffering and hardships are not your life's enemy. They are the essential portal into your maturity and into your completeness. Now you contrast that with our culture. And what our culture teaches our young. The exact opposite. You see, in our culture, we don't elevate maturity as the end goal. We elevate comfort as the end goal. And so our culture story is that suffering is the ultimate villain that is robbing us of the good life. And so we are conditioned 
to see discomfort and pain not as things to be embraced or endured because they lead to maturity, rather as things to be avoided and vanquished as quickly as possible by any means possible. You see, our culture bombards us with the message that life can be easy and it should be easy. You should have a spouse that doesn't cause you problems. That's what you should have. And if you don't have one, go find another one. You should work at a job that makes you whistle with glee all day long. You deserve to retire earlier and live life like it's a pleasure cruise. Because ease and comfort are the goal of our culture. Furthermore, you can be a good person without really trying. You can have happy relationship without needing to forgive. You can have intimacy with God without having any discipline. But none of that is true. None of that is true. The vast majority of us have to work hard for our money. And often at the end, there isn't quite enough. Our spouses cause us problems. I know. My wife tells me regularly, it's true. Right, because marriage is hard. Raising kids is hard. Sometimes our work sucks. It just does. Being a good person doesn't come naturally. If you're going to have any relationship that lasts, it will require you to pay the heavy price of forgiveness. If you're going to experience God, you're going to have to invest in that relationship like any other relationship. The reality is this, is that everything worthwhile in life is obtained through overcoming some negative experience or suffering. And the easiest things in life rarely produce the stuff that makes life beautiful or worthwhile. That's the truth. See, here's what the ads trying to sell us ease and comfort don't tell you. Is that it doesn't matter whether you embrace the inevitable discomfort in life or you focus your whole life avoiding discomfort and chasing comfort and ease. It doesn't matter which way you go, inevitably you will suffer. Either way you will suffer. Either you will suffer to obtain maturity in life, or you will suffer because you avoided it. That's the truth. For example, nobody becomes healthy and fit through a maximum of comfort and a minimum of exercise. Nobody. I mean, this chiseled picture of health and muscle before you <laughs> did not arrive in a bag of Doritos and a Netflix subscription, right? This doesn't just wake up and all this happens. No, it's a lot of hard work that has to go in. <laughs> I can't even keep a straight face while I'm saying this. But here's the deal, if you're gonna be healthy, you got to suffer hours on the treadmill or at the gym. you got to suffer by putting down the Twinkies and picking up the carrot sticks because you know the results are worth it. 
You suffer for a good end, for a good purpose. Or you go through your life pursuing comfort and ease, avoiding suffering, avoiding all the hard things. And at the end result is that you will suffer the consequence of an out-of-shape life and an out-of-shape soul. You see, pursuing the comfort our culture esteems doesn't remove suffering. It just shapes a new kind of suffering. The kind of suffering that comes from short-term pleasure, but long-term guilt. The kind of suffering that comes from temporary comfort, but long-term immaturity. The kind that comes with always putting ourselves and our needs first, only to find ourselves alone without any meaningful relationships. You see, and that type of suffering, friends, is the worst of all because it is suffering without purpose. Listen to me, Central, especially those who are listening to me who who theoretically have more years in front of you than you do behind you. Maturity in life begins with coming to peace with the fact that life is hard and it's meant to be. As long as you think it shouldn't be, For as long as you think there is some secret path which detours around trials and skips over discomfort, you will be tempted to keep searching for that path and you will be frustrated with God throughout your whole life because his intention is to bring trials your way, to use the hard stuff of everyday life, to shape us into a people who become so free that we can give our lives away like Jesus. And paradoxically in that, we find the deepest joy in life. Why James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. You see, it is out of God's desire for our joy and completeness that Jesus calls us into a lot of hard things but it is accepting those hard things as hard things that actually helps life get better. Let me tell you what I mean. Jesus calls us to forgive even our worst enemies. Even our worst enemies. But when we do, we get reconciliation. Jesus calls us to put down our anger And when we do, we find peace. Jesus calls us to give away our money. And after we do, we find that it worries us less and it controls us less. When we suffer through the death of our lust, we find freedom. When we push through and stick with prayer, We find relationship. When we share our faith, we we find that we are the first ones to share in the warmth of the good news. And when we suffer for our faith, we find that we experience a new kind of intimacy with Jesus. When you think that life should be easier, that actually makes life much harder. But when we accept that life is hard and always will be, it gets easier. That is the only way Jesus makes sense. Because Jesus says, come, 
pick up your cross, die to yourself daily. And he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Okay, well, which one? Is it Jesus? Like, which one? And he says, it's, it's both. Life gets easier when you pick up your cross and die to yourself daily. It sounds strange, but it's true. As long as you accept that is actually your main job, to die daily, Jesus' yoke will be easy for you. But as long as you think that Jesus' main role, his main job is to make your life easier, his burden will be unbearably heavy. See, the people who grow into spiritual adulthood, the ones who endure and become, as James says, mature, mature and complete, are the ones who learn to consider it pure joy to face trials of many kinds. They see that Jesus promises to purpose their inevitable suffering for their good. So instead of avoiding hard problems, they actually welcome them. Let me close with this. Uh, CBC told an incredible story of Rob and Sharon Steves from Manitoba. In 2016, they traveled to Ukraine to adopt three kids from an orphanage. There's a picture of them. Now, look at mom and dad. Um, They might not be as old as Abraham and Sarah, but they're getting there. Which makes adopting three kids at that stage of life even more remarkable. That's impressive. Three orphans. Now, the thing is, these three kids who they adopted kept talking about their friends who were left behind, the friends who were still at the orphans, orphanage, the friends who didn't have a home. And so the kids kept asking Rob and Sharon if they could adopt more. But Rob said, quote, I quite firmly said, no, this is the end of the discussion. This is not happening. If when you get married, you marry someone who's open to adopting, you can adopt as many children as you want. But there is no more discussion on this point. But I had quite the internal struggle over it for the next four to six months. And he says that when he was at church, the pastor was preaching and said, Jesus' followers should allow Jesus to govern what they say yes to and what they say no to. And so Rob told CBC this, can't believe CBC printed this. Quote, the Bible very clearly teaches that true and pure religion involves taking care of widows and orphans. It's God's will. It's God's design. He wants us to take care of people that are destitute and less fortunate, whatever the cost. And so in March 2020, the Steves found themselves back in the Ukraine at the same orphanage, meeting their eight new children. Now, now, now you clap when you see that. I, I'm thinking something different. Probably not as refined and mature spiritually as you guys are, but I'm thinking something different when I see this picture. I'm thinking the photographer shouldn't have said, say, cheese. The photographer should say, say, sayonara, easy retirement right? Say goodbye comfort. Say hello to 11 new problems. Worship team, you can come on up.
But Rob and Sharon have learned to consider it pure joy to face trials of many kinds. They have accepted deep down that life is hard. So they've let go of trying to make it easy. And so they've been empowered to take on Jesus' easy yoke and die to themselves daily. Now hear me. You don't need to try to make life hard. It just is. Whether you follow Jesus or not, life is hard. And Jesus does not want to make your life miserable. Just the opposite. He doesn't want to stop you from having fun or squeeze all enjoyment out of your life. Not at all. But he does want you to stop wasting your life on hard problems that don't matter and bring no joy. Like trying to turn your life into an endless vacation. Or, or forever chasing the shadows of comfort and ease that in the end will leave you disappointed, immature, and self-absorbed like a child. He invites you instead to take up the best problems. Problems that matter. Problems that, that not only will fill your life with big challenges, but big joy. Like widows and orphans, and making disciples, and giving yourself away. That is the better story that Jesus is inviting us into. It's hard, but in the hard is the life and the joy. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we confess that we often have different aspirations for our lives than you do. We confess that we have been shaped by this cultural moment we are in, that we desire comfort. Man, I was just relishing in heated seats that I turn on like three days a year driving here. I can't even imagine having a car that doesn't have that. Why? Because oh, I'm a creature of comfort. But you desire Christ-likeness. Help us see that your desire for us are good and loving, that they are for our maturity and completeness, so that we might surrender to your purposes, to your process, and find our faith becoming refined, our priorities becoming purified, our joy becoming more abundant, and us more like your son, able to give our lives away. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to take a moment to thank you for listening, and we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings in person or online. For more information about who we are and what's happening in the church, visit us online at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast.